Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. And today we're reading Short and Deep, A Practical Man's Guide by Jack Vance, first published in Space Science Fiction Magazine, August 1957. And uh, I'm a big Jack Vance fan. I have not read as much Vance as I, I'd like, but um, there's one story by him I, I love to reread. It's called The Moon Moth. And uh, whenever I find a Jack Vance that we could use, I, I want to read through it and see if it's a gem. I think this one is a joke. <laughs> I'm not sure what's going on with this one, but I love it. What did you think of this story? I I think that, in fact, it may be a joke. Um, there is a line in it about jokes mm-hmm. uh, that that makes me think that that, that could be the case. Um, I, I believe, unless I'm thinking of something else that I read recently. No, uh, here it is. It says, uh, we are all victims of a gruesome joke, mm. um, is, a, is a line that gets, that's buried within the, uh, within the story. Uh, let's just, let's remind us the story is about a man named Ralph Banks, who is the editor of a, a popular crafts magazine. It sort of sounds like popular science magazine, which was published in the same period in the 1950s. Um, and I mean, I know that because I saw them as a kid reading them, um, except craft is not the same as science. This is the technology end. It's a matter of inventions, not the science behind inventions. And that may have something to do with what I think is going on in the story. It's a practical man's guide. That's an interestingly, um, slippery phrase Mm -hmm. it's not a practical a practical man's guide to fishing Mm -hmm. it's not a practical man's guide to anything is it a guide for a practical man which ralph banks wants to be or it is a practical guide for man um it's very hard to figure out exactly what that title refers to but what we know in the story is that that Ralph Banks, the editor of this magazine, finds that now in 1957, presumably, uh, the last 12 years, it says that he's had this job, um, which he got right after the end of World War II, we're told. So um, he's, he's, you know, as soon as uh, wartime censorship restrictions were lifted, magazines like this appeared all over the world. In fact, uh, Arthur C. Clarke became a senior editor of Science Abstracts, uh, churning out uh, easily understood abstracts for a year's worth of backlogged uh, scientific papers that had not been allowed to be published. Um, So we've got Ralph Banks, who is not himself a scientist, who is not himself even an inventor, but he's got a great ability to read through people's words and diagrams and understand instantly whether or not what they are presenting to him will work. Uh, He's able to picture them beautifully. But what he really likes after all these years of doing the job is uh, the screwball ideas that people send into him, things like perpetual motion machines. So his secretary, Lorraine, um, sorts the mail for him. When he gets in in the morning, he'll find 
of his mail in different piles, one of which is an inbox labeled screwball. Um, and those screwball ideas are the ones he looks forward to the most. In the mailbox this day, a day when he has a 10 o'clock appointment uh, scheduled to meet with Seth R. Framis from the AEC, mm -hmm. um, he finds a manuscript called A Practical Man's Guide. And what happens in the course of the story is that he gets so enthralled with trying to track down this, this guide and the person behind it and, and then enacting the inst instructions in the guide that he keeps putting Framus off again and again and again until eventually Framus does leave. I mean, he doesn't wait long enough, although it was supposed to be a real scoop for the magazine and the editor because it looked like Framus was going to give some kind of a leak that would make <laughs> it possible for uh, the the magazine to steal the march on information that would come from the AEC. Uh, I don't believe in the story we're told what AEC is, but in 1957, every American reader would know mm -hmm. that this is the Atomic Energy Commission, which was in fact charged with the further development of America's nuclear weapons. Um, anyway, rather than getting to see Mr. Primus, uh, Mr. Banks follows bizarre instructions in the practical man's guide sent to him by someone named Angus McElwain. Although the second time his name appears, it is as Angus McElwain hunter. And that's interesting to mm -hmm. know how he became a hunter between the first reading and the second. Um, and Lorraine outside Mr. Banks closed door hears very strange noises she hears things like an engine room door being opened. There's great power <laughs> behind the door. Uh, but then when it all goes silent and Mr. Framis is gone, she looks and uh, son of a gun. The office is empty. Maybe he stepped out for a uh, coffee. Uh, Lorraine went back to her desk and sat waiting for Mr. Banks to return. After a while, she brought out a file and began to work on her nails. Mm -hmm. I would like to suggest that, that Vance, who is in many ways, not always, uh, but in many ways, a master of language, uh, he knew darn well the ambiguity. After a while, the secretary brought out a file. Well, we know what kind of files you find in offices. But no, it says, and began to work on her nails. Mm -hmm. So it's a different kind of file. And if we're really paying attention, we may remember that the instructions in the practical man's guide included getting a bunch of new nails. Right. Um, so there's misunderstanding is rife as a possibility in this story, although it's handled very subtly. And I think the story, in fact, is a joke, but it is a joke with a much deeper meaning. But I will desist now. Is that a, if that's a reasonable summary, um, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I really, I'm not sure what effect he was going for, but I don't, I do know it had a powerful effect on me, and I think I, I'm pretty sure that it is a, a joke, um, a joke story. There are there are a lot of these stories in the in the 50s, but um, I think it also has. Um, some interesting ramifications. What, what what I like thinking about while reading this story was I was acting just like the man, <laughs> just like Ralph Banks. I was like, what's going on? 
and I, I, I kept reading even though I had pressing business elsewhere, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> and um, I was putting things off that maybe I should have, uh, ta- you know, uh, taken more care and, you know, and, and read this later. But I just couldn't because I had to know what was going to, like, what's he going to do with those those pieces of equipment, those odd pieces of equipment? And what what does this letter mean? Um, and there's, there's, there is so much ambiguity into what happened. Um, I'm not sure that Mr. Banks has a, another door out of his office to go get coffee. Maybe he does. It's not mentioned in the story. But I don't believe he went for coffee. Neither do I. I also noticed that there is no description of him going through any door, having any other door available. That's right. So uh, it would be my intention contention that uh he didn't leave via a regular door um uh the language that vance employs as he does in every story i've read by him is just beautiful um smooth and clean and has this very effective use of every word there there are a number of these scenes setting up um the situation but i i wanted to just excerpt this one so we could we could hear it so just after finding out you know how how he could look at blueprints and envision how they would be put together into a practical object um we get a sort of a a clue to his high competence in his field by the way um there is a magazine uh even closer to uh the, the one mentioned in here than the one you mentioned, Popular Science, uh, my mom was a subscriber to that, so I got to see uh, that. And there was its twin, which was Popular Mechanics, which yes. is exactly what I think this is sort of about. It It's about the practical application of, of, of the tools that you have acquired, the skills that you have acquired as a, a man who was off in the field in world war ii and had to fix your own jeep and set up your own uh camp and all the all that stuff and it, it was an amazing magazine and i believe it uh has sort of dwindled into maybe non-existence but it was around just you know 10 years ago um if it's still around i would be surprised and probably because- mechanics i i would mention that in it was in popular mechanics that i first learned um how exactly to create the engine that drives a that powers a nuclear submarine Mm -hmm. so although popular mechanics indeed told you how to fix your jeep it also you know sort of explained how to get stuff done yeah um it was a nice little it was the same format at least when i was seeing it as the science fiction magazines it was that same pulp paper in the same size and so on yeah um so i wanted to read this little section here uh, showing his uh, the practical competence of ralph banks he could build lawn furniture hammer copper polish agate weave harris tweed repair watches photograph amoeba lithograph dye batik etch glass detect forgeries with infrared light and seriously disable a heavier opponent (laughs) (laughs) this is uh, this is the competent man that, you know, uh, science fiction heroes are supposed to be, her- heroes and heroine, right? They're, they're supposed to be able to, you know, fix their own 
drive, engine drive and navigate and do all of the things that, but this is a guy who does it from his desk, right? He doesn't actually build these things except in his mind. So it's all with words. Mm -hmm. It's all with words. My favorite uh, work of Jack Vance, I don't know him as well as you do. I have a strong feeling is his novel called The Languages of Pow, mm -hmm. which is all about the ways in which language shapes our thought and our thought shapes our language and our language thoughts shape the world. Um, I, I think the catalogs, like the one you just read of the things that Ralph Banks could do, are terrific here. But I think that Vance has an even subtler control of the language. The first paragraph, I would like you to listen for something that isn't there. The something that isn't there is the word and. Okay. Mm -hmm. Ralph Banks, editor of Popular Crafts Monthly, was a short, stocky man with a round pink face, a crisp crew cut, and intensely energetic manner. Mm -hmm. Didn't say and and intensely, right? He wore gabardine suits and bow ties. He lived in Westchester with a wife, three children, an Irish setter, a pair of Siamese cats. Not and a pair of science. He was respected by his underlings, liked quite, liked not quite to the same extent. So the conjunctions are missing, mm -hmm. right? except for that gabardine suit and bow ties. The conjunctions are missing. Well, you know what? You don't actually need them mm -hmm. to understand what's going on. It's a practical way to write English. And this is how Ralph Banks is constructed. He's a practical man, which may mean that he is cutting a few corners <laughs> and not seeing all that is necessary to go on there. And as I, <laughs> you and I both remember, his disappearance is occasioned by him not having the last two pages of the manuscript. Right. <laughs> Missing just a, a few important facts. Um, I, I, I'm also very intrigued by the effect of the way the story is told. I was thinking, like, why do we need this character of Framus, and why do we even need the, uh, the, um, the secretary? In fact, um, all we need is the paper in the room. But I, I'm not sure that that's true. Um, and I think that it's because Vance was so skilled at writing fiction, and he he knows better than than I do why these characters are there so um Frank, i have some ideas about those people yeah um well i want to hear them but i just wanted to point out that um the very first thing came to mind why he was framus was there is he is the frame right um he is the frame for us to to view the rest of the story because his leak never comes out right well, that's not what I think it means. Okay. But, but I mean, it works, so it could have that as a resonance in it as well. Um, you, you grew up in Canada. I grew up in the United States. In fact, this story is set in New York, although um, Jack Vance was a, a born uh, Bay City fellow, born in San Francisco and died in Oakland. Um, I, I think he probably knew some of the same slang that I knew. A Framus is a thingamajig. Mm-hmm. So whatchamacallit. So Seth R. Framis is coming to the offices of Popular Crafts Monthly, which gets articles about 
thingamajigs, screwball and otherwise, constantly. Every day's mail brings more articles about thingamajigs. And in comes Framis. Um, in fact, Framis comes from the AEC, the Atomic Energy Commission. This is, 19, <laughs> this is 1957, right? Um, you may or may not know that in Oak Ridge, uh, when they were uh, enriching the uranium to make what we now think of as the atomic bomb, uh, which is what the AEC has control over, when they in Oak Ridge, uh, because of wartime secrecy, nobody was allowed to refer even to uranium. It was called tubaloy, uh, <laughs> T-U-B-E-A-L-L-O-Y. It was called tubaloy. And every single worker in Oak Ridge, and there were tens of thousands of people living there, they were all compartmentalized. They weren't allowed to talk to their work, to their neighbors, their spouses, their roommates. But what they did know eventually, at least some of them, is that the work that they were doing there was to make it possible for someone to make what was called the gadget. <laughs> and the gadget was going to be able to shorten the length of the war. Now, the gadget, of course, a gadget is another word for a thingamajig or a framis. Mm -hmm. um, this guy comes from the AEC. Now, again, um, a phrase that that one would know if one um, were alive at the period or read histories of this period. When that first atomic bomb test happened at Alamogordo in 1945, one of the famous phrases that came from it was to say it made the sand dance hmm. okay, in the desert. This man who is waiting to leak information to Ralph Banks um, is Seth R. Framis. Seth is the Egyptian god of chaos and the desert. Seth R. Framis. Chaos in the desert is a thingamajig. It's a gadget. I don't think that Vance gave us that name just by accident, and I don't think he put it there merely as a framing device. I think what he wants us to see is that if we don't have complete enough knowledge of what we are doing and simply rush ahead to enact it technologically, as Banks does with the incomplete instructions in A Practical Man's Guide, we may destroy ourselves. There's a marvelous passage. I won't say it's marvelous. There's a passage in the book, in the book, I'm sorry, in the story that talks about um, whether science is good or bad. Knowledge, and who knows, it may lead to ultimate good. Mm. Fire has done more good than harm for mankind. So have explosives. And so uh, ultimately, we may hope, will atomic energy. Therefore, as Einstein steeled himself against his qualms to write the equation equals MC squared, so I will record my findings. That is a quote from the Practical Man's Guide, which has been sent to Ralph Banks. Um, it it's about unleashing fire and hoping that we manage to get the good benefits from it rather than the deleterious effects of it. And when it says explosives have done us good, um, I think in 1957, one can hardly not think of the fact that we are now in an atomic age. 
And the atomic age was not one in which we're all running around thinking, oh, goody, nuclear power, because that hadn't happened yet. But rather we're doing duck and cover drills in schools because we were afraid of the bombs that had been unleashed. I think I think this joke is very apt for its time. I think it means to make us look very deeply at what it, at what a a an uncritical enjoyment of thingamajigs may give us. A practical man may not, in fact, survive. You need deeper knowledge. Uh, I I did find that that uh, in my research. I always look at the names if they stand out at all. And uh, Framus is not a normal name I've heard. So I looked it up and it, I did get thingamajig. But I also thought maybe it's not Framus uh, thingamajig, but Framus F-R-A-M-I-S, which is a noun, uncountable, that is defined as speech that uses a mix of real and nonsense words. And I was thinking about how the Angus McKillowain or Angus McKillowain Hunter uh, document seems to be using real words, but the effect and the missing the missing segments of, of the letter that we don't I guess get to read ourselves uh, make me say, uh, really curious as to like how how un- how is it that this very practical man, our hero uh, Ralph Banks, how is it that he is the one to sort of fall into this trap? Is it because he has this? hobby of collecting screwball you know inventions um because one of the things that we learn in the letter and i want to read the beginning of the letter is that it's it's been rejected by other magazines (laughs) yes um like he makes it sound as if uh he was going to sell it and send it to popular crafts because it's so prestigious but uh, why didn't he send it there first, right? So, right. <laughs> and of course, the incompetence of Hunter in leaving off the last two pages and the description of how how the um, how the document is sent uh, makes us think that um, Hunter is quite a screwball after all, even though his invention seems to work, whatever it is, or his discovery. So I just want to read the the opening letter here. Dear sir, I have learned in the course of a long and a long life that exaggerated modesty brings few rewards. Hence, I will put no face of humility. I will pull, put on no face of humility. I will pull will not quote pull my punches as if he's quoting something as the expression goes. The following document is a tremendous contribution to human knowledge. In fact, it knocks the props from under the entire basis of our existence, the foundation of our moral order, the implication, indeed, the bald facts will come as a shock supreme in its devastation to all but a few. You will observe, and I need hardly emphasize, that this is a field not to be pursued lightly. Of course, he hasn't said what he's talking about yet. I have therefore prefaced description of the techniques with a brief account of my own findings in order to warn any who seek to satisfy a dilettante's curiosity. You will wonder why I have chosen your periodical as the outlet of my work 
I will be frank. Yours is a practical magazine. You are a practical man. And I submit the following as a practical guide. And then we get the description of the the tools that he's going to need, or a description of how it's been written. Um, and it, it it comes on pebbled paper, which I looked up. I, I'd never seen it before. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't send in anything to a magazine on pebbled paper myself. Um, it seems gaudy. In any case, McKellar Wayne's typography made a pretty show. Here's the, the quote. The margin allowed two inches of pebbled beige space on either side, passages in red interspersed with paragraphs in black, and some of these were underlined in purple ink. Small green stars appeared in the left-hand margin from time to time, indicating further emphasis. The effect was colorful and dramatic. So even though it looks like a, you know, elementary school essay, it somehow keeps him reading. And then it starts to get really strange. He says, it is no argument to say that masquerade, capital M, is unrelieved evil. Masquerade is knowledge, and men must never shrink from knowledge. And he does go on to compare himself to Einstein. And then this is the line that got me into the story so deep that I was like, what the hell's going on? <laughs> Sometimes it is very quiet, he read, but only the ego can dodge behind these viscous, milky pillars I have mentioned. It is easily possible to become lost here in a very mundane manner. What could be more ludicrous, more tragic, a prisoner of self, so to speak? What is this document documenting? I don't know, but... When he starts listing off the equipment needed, and and then, of course, uh, Banks lists those equipment needed so that he can reconstruct the experiment or device or, or the framus, what, what have you, um, I start getting a little bit worried. But Banks doesn't seem to be worried at all. He seems in, entranced. So Indeed. One of the... I'm sorry. I was just going to say, so what What? What did you think when you were reading that? In the beginning of our discussion, Jesse, you noted that we are uncertain about what's really going on here. Like Lorraine, we're on the outside of the door, and which I think is one of the good reasons to have Lorraine, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we don't really understand what's going on. Um, the editor is the person who's supposed to make things clear to us. He's been doing this for 12 years, an interesting number of years, since the very end of the war. He doesn't really know what's going on either. And the reason he doesn't know what's going on, in addition to the obvious one that he doesn't have the last two pages of the manuscript, is that he does not read it carefully. We're told that he just let his eye go down the manuscript and pull out the odd sentence here and there. The sentences that we're getting as readers of Vance's story are sentences that got pulled out by Banks's eye as he read through the manuscript. It's not at all clear that Banks actually read the manuscript. And given the timing involved, 
If it's a many page manuscript, we know that Framus is outside, you know, getting more and more annoyed at being put off for his 10 o'clock appointment. I think he never did read the whole manuscript. Mm. So what I make of this is that the incompletion is part of the thematic address to the, the danger of rushing in where angels fear to tread. I, I just I, I'm like I'm fearful. I was fearful for Banks. Like, what the heck is he doing with this? The equipment is so specific, right? Listen yep. to this. T- take this list. I want a quart of water in a glass jug, six glasses, a steel knitting needle, a sheet of black cardboard. Get this from art. Dull, not gloss. A piece of white chalk, a can of ether. Uh-oh. Did you say ether, Mr. Banks? Yes, I said ether. Lorraine made a hasty notation. I need some red oil and some yellow oil. Get these from our two. A dozen new nails, big ones, a bottle of perfume, good and strong, and a pound of rice. Okay. <laughs> and a pound of rice. I'm not so worried about the pound of rice, but I am very worried about the, the knitting needle. <laughs> well, you know, if, if you want to push this atomic energy subtext a little further, mm-hmm. the pound of rice, the, uh, the dull square of black paper um the 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 water set up in an appropriate ceremonial way um this can be the revenge of the japanese it sounds like oregon i mean i'm not saying that it is but this has nothing to do with the technology for huge amounts of power being released at least not that we understand and yet Something strange happens, and there goes Banks. I mean, there's something about capitalism that doesn't see far enough into what's going on. Banks fails. There, there is so much about the head. I, I underlined how many times we get the head or the face. I mean, one of the the masquerade, right? Yes. Um, that I'm primed. I've been primed to think like he's going to start taking his head apart or something like that. <laughs> uh, listen to this this line. He says, "To demonstrate the whole shoddy, terrible trick is a task of a few minutes, simple and certain. If you are daring, let us say reckless. If you would tear the silken tissue that binds your eyes, do then as I say." And then he he starts doing it. Yeah. It's, then when we get the description of what's happening behind the door, it, it's it, before they get the, the sounds, they get the smell. There's a funny smell in here, said Seth Arframus. Mm-hmm. Lorraine sniffed the air and looked embarrassed. It must be something on the wind from the river. And I'm thinking, well, that's not a good smell if it's coming from the river. What's that noise? asked Framus. Staring at the bank's door. I don't know, said Lorraine. It doesn't sound like Mr. Banks. Whatever it is, said Framus, I can't wait. He leaves. Lorraine sat listening to the sound from Banks' office. A gurgling of water mingled with hissing, frying sound. Then came Banks' voice, subdued and muffled. Then a vague roaring sound, as if someone momentarily had opened the door into the engine room of the ship. Of a ship. Then a murmur, then quiet. And then Angus McKillowain Hunter calls. And he says, oh, uh, I'm glad he likes the document. I'll tell him that I'll send the last two pages along. 
there there are uh, a lot of these sort of missing a trick here and there. One of the missing a tricks I wanted to point out, um, you actually got slightly wrong. You were saying that that uh, Framus wanted to leak uh, some stuff. It's actually he he's. It sounds like he's doing it sort of in a semi-official capacity because rather than wanting to leak the document that he was going to write or the article that he was going to write for the for the magazine was about a controlled leak and how this was a surprising turn of events considering of course leaks from atomic power plants uh are not something you would want yeah uh i i noticed that as a possibility too but i i i do believe that we're talking about the government wanting to leak some information and it's in that sense it's a controlled leak there there is an important book uh, novella by lester del rey called nerves um i think it's about 1952 that talks about the meltdown of the core of a, of a nuclear reactor of a, a peaceful uh, atomic energy power plant. But in fact, so this could have been known, but in fact, leaks from atomic yeah. power plants had not occurred yet because there were no acting ones. The only ones that existed were in the minds of science fiction writers. It's so I'm very, not saying, yeah, that, I, you're I, saying, I mean, there are, there are double resonances in so many things here. Right. I, I have read to read that ask, section. I want to read that section because now that you're saying it that way, I'm seeing it from your point of view, but I totally read it the other way the first time. Let me just read that. At, at 10, Seth R. Framis, a highly placed consultant to the AEC who had agreed to write an article for the ato on atomic power plants, Framis had obtained a special clearance and proposed to hint at some new and rather startling developments, something in the nature of a planned leak. So the way I read that is like, wow, there's you're going to have a planned leak of the nuclear reactor. Um, so we're going to shove out all this radiation into into society. Like, w w is that a good idea? I don't think so. Oh, well, it's a startling development. On the other hand, you can read it the other way. Um, and then, of course, that would be what the article is. Just as you said, you know, you can you can read in Popular Mechanics how nuclear submarines work. Yeah. This is a... I, I want to give Vance a lot of credit here, and and I think you and I are plumbing the the underlying resonances of the story. So this joke does have real meaning in 1957, which is a time of um, duck and cover. But I have to say there are a couple of things at least that that make me want to uh, be a little cautious. Unlike Ralph Banks, for one thing. Um, this is all set on the morning of Tuesday, August 27th. And uh, thanks to the wonders of Internet and the calculators you can find there on, I found out that in 1957, the year of publication of this, uh, October 27th, which is still a couple of months ahead of this publication, was a Sunday. But in the previous year, 1956, it was a Saturday. And in the year before that, it was a Thursday. So... Um, Either Vance is trying to give us a hint that this is some alternate world or he's not paying a lot of attention. Uh, he also gets wrong the name of the Smithsonian Institution. Mm. He repeatedly calls it the Smithsonian Institute. 
And he never does explain why McIlwain adds that last name of Hunter unless yeah. it is that Mr. Crispin at the Smithsonian so-called institute, when he thinks, oh, I know who that would be. Um, he's finding that there is actually an Angus Hunter whose middle name is McIlwain. Uh, but still, why should the manuscript have two different names for it? Uh, this seems so careful, and yet maybe it's not. And so the the guy in me who wants to give Vance full credit says, it seems so careful, and yet it's not. And that's what gets us into trouble. You know, I think that that's right. And I mean, the fact that, that he had trouble finding Angus McIlwain is kind of like after a certain point i was wondering why lorraine didn't go back into the office and like start getting worried it's almost as if um banks no longer exists and like has no longer ever existed and in the same way that hunter goes away um nobody's ever heard of him at the smithsonian when he comes back he's slightly different um I want to also point out that I looked up Angus McIlwain, and obviously Hunter is the last name we understand. But Angus um, has a couple of meanings. One is one, <laughs> and the other is choice. McIlwain uh, is a, a name meaning son of the servant of Betha. And Betha is life. So we're almost like... If we do a name translation, it's choice, life, hunter, or one life hunter. There's got to be resonance, given that Framus has that meaning of gobbledygook and also a thingamajig. I, I kind of want to think that all of the mistakes are for our benefit and to make us think like that the practical man might see something in this gobbledygook <laughs> and we get pulled in just like banks. You're just proving again, Jesse, there is always more to say. <laughs>